brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome. My name is Sam Wershing, and along with Ryan Epperson, we're here to bring you Dynasty's Child, helping Dynasty League managers one player at a time. Tonight, we have an opportunity to have a guest uh, with us that needs little introduction, but should be given some. Lucas Berry is with us. He is uh, the owner and moderator of his own website, dcdynasty.co, and he also works at FTN Network heading up some of the baseball analysis. So, Lucas, welcome to the show. How are you? Awesome. Doing pretty good. Um, just kind of ready for spring training to kick off and yes. just to have reports come in and news items and kind of get that fever back in. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go and in pretty good form for baseball. Right on. Actionable data. That's what we all want, things that are actually happening. Yes. Things that are reportable yeah, and reportable. Absolutely. Ryan, say hi to the people as always. How are you tonight? Wonderful. Wonderful. Dave, now, I'm drinking uh, the last of my coffee today. Do either of you have beverages in front of you for this evening? I have a big glass of water in front of me, so not very exciting, but <laughs> useful enough. So okay. uh, it's, uh, it's 10 o'clock here, and it's, usually, it's honestly past my bedtime, so I'm enjoying <laughs> a nightcap of a uh, whiskey. Yeah, you, you guys. Go. You guys are both pulling in the late duty. I'm over here on the best coast. It's it's still pretty early for me. It's only seven o'clock, so I'll be ready to go <laughs> all night long. Real quick, there I just want to say uh, you can find Ryan on Twitter at p p e n a y r. You can find me at Sam F B B one, and you can find Lucas at LucasBerry thirty three. Lucas, uh, tell tell our listeners, talk to us a little bit about your history playing dynasty baseball. Because when I met you two first pitches ago, uh, that was kind of central to the conversations that we had, that we both really had uh, some dynasty experience and you commissioned a dynasty league that I ended up joining on fan track. So 
tell people a little bit about your history around Dynasty and maybe a little bit about fantasy baseball. Yeah, so as far as kind of my history with Dynasty, it's maybe not as long as some other people, but um, I joined into that arena in 2017 and joined two Dynasty leagues uh, from there, 20-team league and a 15-team league, only stick with Roto. Um, And since then, I've been in uh, five Dynasty leagues. Um, I actually kind of had to cut back a little bit just because there were certain teams that got a lot of attention, but not as much as I wanted to give. (laughs) Um, So I kind of stepped away from a few teams just to kind of make the the three teams that I still have right now, just to give them as much focus as possible. Uh, Cause when I first started, I had everyone's roster kind of memorized in my head, you know, this team has this player, et cetera. So kind of going back to the basics a little bit there, but yeah, I pretty much stick with Roto preferred deeper leagues, deeper dynasty leagues. Uh, so yeah. Right on. So when you say deeper dynasty, uh, what's the average size of the minors in these leagues? Is it 15? Is it 25? Like, are you only dealing with a, a, a roster depth of 300 players? Or are you looking at 500, 600, 750 prospects at a time? Um, so I was in some 20 team leagues. I'm not, I'm no longer in those but we have a uh, 25 man minor leagues, 15 team leagues. Uh, so pretty fairly deep, um, not as deep as, as some others, but there can be other prospects that are rostered too, because injured uh, list spots can kind of expand your rosters as well as if a team wants to put a major league eligible player, who's a prospect still on their bench or in their active lineup, then they can do that and still stuff away more prospects on their farm system that way too. Right. No, I'm always blown away in some of those deeper leagues. I'm in a 30-team league where there's 20 minor leaguers, and you ha- you have to be up on at least 500. Mm-hmm. You have you have to know mm-hmm. that yeah. many, but 750 isn't you know that's not far off. And I know a lot of people that are actually 750, a thousand. You know, it just blows my mind at how deep that's that crazy. pool is, right? And you know, you have to balance it with that knowledge of the active players. And that's already a deep moving piece that players that are right. already in the majors that you're not, you know, glossing on these really shiny potential things. It's the boring, I've done it for three years things, or I finally played myself into playing time things that really affect redraft and and that game, you know? So I'm always I'm always amazed at how <laughs> how any of us are able to handle that, so. Anyway, yeah, uh, I so, find the uh, I find fifteen team with twenty five man uh, minor league rosters a sweet spot. Yes, uh, whereas it's after you get past the f- t- top five hundred prospects, it's, I mean, you're kind of just chasing your tail. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it's tough. I mean, what's really the difference between prospect two fifty on somebody's list and prospect three fifty? I mean, is there really honestly nothing? Because because you you might have a balance uh, a bias for the development that the organization has for the player three fifty versus a player two fifty. Uh, you might just like right. the way that that team is. So, talk to me about this, both you guys. What do you think is more important when you're looking at a dynasty value? Is it tiers or is it actual positional rankings or overall rankings? When you're assessing the value of a player, how do you either to identify for a trade or to identify to draft? Are you are you thinking tier based or do you really religiously follow rankings? 
Yeah, for me, it's going to be tier-based just because um, I, I like looking at dynasty rankings. I really appreciate anybody that puts in the work to do prospect dynasty rankings or even redraft rankings. It's, incru- it's an excruciating amount of work. Yeah. But we really – we're doing our best guess. So realistically, a tier um, just kind of groups guys together, and no one's perfect. So a tier is going to be able to at least say, you know, I've got – you know. Uh, Curtis Mead in the same in the same prospect group as uh, you know a guy like Colson Montgomery and you can feel like okay that's fair now who's going to be better I don't know maybe right. you might be a Montgomery guy maybe you're in Mead right. guy but you've at least identified these are 50 future value players maybe 55s if they really come out and you know hit the ground running right yep yeah I'm I'm really much the same way whereas when I took over the uh, prospects from Ken this off season, uh, I kind of, I moved to tier based rankings and just because like Lucas was saying it, there's a cliff where you, there's a clear defining where you can see people that or players that don't belong in that tier. So, right. But if you're in that same bucket, it's, it's less uh, or it's easier to just put them in a bucket and one or two players, there's not a huge difference between them. Uh, and then sometimes they're a deciding factor between if they go in one tier or not, it would be like you were saying, Sam, where it's uh, team-based where I trust the Rays getting the most out of a pitcher or whatever. Right. No, I, 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 I've, I've always held on to rankings until about a year, year and a half ago when I started to think about when you put out data points that you see groupings of things when you put together large pieces of data. And it really, for me, gave credence to you. You have to have Rankings are good and important. And again, I'm not trying to, we do rankings at TDG. Uh, I'm assuming that Lucas, you have an internal ranking system that you're a part of or that you do for yourself. Like, I think we all go through trying to project and put them out, but I don't think there's a problem with tearing them out. And if you take player 18 instead of player 16 or 15 at the beginning of a draft, or you take player 250 instead of player 200, you know, in the middle of the draft that, Right. You know, at that point, you're taking your guys. You're really going to try to maximize what you think is the winning solution for things. And so, yeah, if you're if you're in a dynasty startup league, and um, you know, let's say that uh, you know, let's say that you've got your your sheet ready in front of you, and you have a safe, stable player, um, like in Jose Altuve but Jess Chisholm's available and you feel like you've, you've gotten uh, very safe up to that point and you want that upside. I, I mean, you can base your approach based on your team construction if that's where you want to go. So absolutely. Yeah. I still think that, you know, it, when you talk about a draft, you're, you're always trying to maximize value. It isn't until yeah. for, for me and, and chime in if you guys disagree, but it's not until after the first 12 or 15 rounds that I'm no longer drafting sp- purely for value at that point i'm trying to fill out a roster complete the puzzle but 
in most drafts, you want to grab that highest value. And there are times that people fall to you or you, like you said, you have that bias that I've been safe or I have a safe plan. This is where I want to do my variance. This is where I want to get my upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an aside to either of you guys think Jazz Chisholm is going to be an elite player for the next five years, or are we looking at somebody who's got a lot of up and down? Uh, Ryan, you tell me first, and then Lucas, you tell me. Uh, I think we talked about him on the last pod uh, with our about our uh, dynasty startup draft that we just did. Oh, and right. man, I am I I traded for Jazz in one of my longstanding dynasty leagues, and I immediately regretted it. It's, <laughs> it's I mean, he has the he has the potential to be a forty thirty guy or thirty forty guy. But you can't trust them, and you you can't spend. I don't want to spend personally draft capital. I mean, I think in that startup dynasty, he went in the fourth or fifth round. Like you can't. I just. I don't mind taking risks on certain players, but he has shown that he is injury prone, and that's. I mean, nobody likes to put a injury prone label on people, but I mean it's a skill at the end of the day. And it's something that I can't, I can't predict how many plate appearances he's going to have. Okay. Okay. Where are you at Lucas on jazz? I think, I think Ryan makes some excellent points there. And uh, it's tough because part of me wants to pick him as a potential 30, 30 guy. Oh yeah. But the other part of me loves to go with the projectable safety. So he's very tricky, probably a little bit more of a trade target. Let's say the team that has him is, you know, can't win right now. I don't know. Maybe, they, maybe they're maybe they just sick of him and they just want to get rid of him. But I don't know. It's important to remember how, how elite his upside is. But uh, like Ryan said, it's hard to pay that full freight price for him since at this point his injury history spans the gamut. It's not just bad luck hit by a pitch or anything. It's it's soft tissue as well as knee issues, back issues repeatedly. It's yep. yeah, it's problematic. Well, and, and now that he's center field, it's just yeah. not a good mix. Yeah. I thought they would have moved him to second base or something, something that's just a little bit easier on the system. Doesn't have to make all the plays still is athletic and allowed to, you know, be an active part of up the middle defense, but yeah, no, they want him in the outfield. And I think that that's really important when we think about drafts too, is that you really, the, the more variance you have at those beginning parts, the real hard, it's so hard to make that executable decision where you're like, yeah, I'll draft Jazz at his cost. You know, you bring yeah. up a good point, Lucas, that he's more of a, he's a trade target if you see something in April and May where you're like, yeah, he is that player if he can stay healthy. He, he really has it, you know, and maybe he's got it and he's going to be healthy for a season or two. I can I can get the most juice out of this. And so... Yeah, I'm, I I like Jazz, but I, you know, he's so far across the country in a different division than the Mariners that I I don't pay much attention. I love watching him play. Oh, yeah, he's those bombs he hit off of Degrom a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. just he's he can hit the ball a mile. He's awesome with that. So speaking about the the Marlins, like I will pay attention to their players, but I'm not really paying attention to the Marlins. When do you have real real life play for teams that enter into your bias 
when you're looking uh, to acquire uh, players in Dynasty. As an example, for years, everybody talked about the Cleveland Guardians developing of Major League Pitching. It was a big thing. Everybody talked about Most people talked about it. Everybody might be a little extreme. But do you find yourself gravitating towards Tampa Bay Ray players or L.A. Dodger prospects or Astros pitching that there are organizations that even if the guy isn't as highly valued on the market as you think he should be, you're going for him because of the pedigree of where he's from. Does that enter into either of your guys uh, real, real serious planning for valuing players? Do you guys get into that at all? For me, it's. It's not a major part, but it's often the last deciding factor between two players. Like I was saying with the tiers, uh, when when if you stack up two prospects that are generally the same, I'll go with the better development developmental org organization. But it doesn't weigh any higher than that for you. Not generally. Uh, Although you can't really dismiss what like Baltimore's doing with hitters right now. I mean, it's insane. So when I'm ranking initially, they, the organization might matter a little bit more, but when all said and done and I'm comparing the two prospects, I generally will just watch video on them and then, you know, stats and all that. And decide from there and organization plays a little role in it what about you lucas how much does that play when you're going to target players or draft players for trade um for me a, a little bit more than ryan really some guys even if they go to a team that's not in a good position nor has good coaching like the white Sox or the <laughs> angels that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't mean I'm just not going to to go for their players, you know, moving forward. So I think that I'm a little bit different there. I've seen some dynasty manager like, well, you know, he's a Marlins hitter. I don't want him. Well, I mean, that means that he'll have lineup chances because they're kind of a second, third division team, you know. Sure. So that's a good benefit. But obviously, you know, you love to get uh, a pitcher who's flashing good signs through the Dodgers. They clearly have a huge leg up i mean that's one of the best teams to work for if we if we're viewing each of these teams as 30 employers so yeah i do really look at organization i think um they can they can take an average player and make them really good and then bad teams can make a a good player kind of not very good anymore so shout out pirates yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely absolutely okay i was curious about that So uh, one of the things that's really different from, I think, from redraft to dynasty is how we handle fab. Uh, Lucas, can you tell, because you are, uh, you know, as evidenced by uh, your win last year in the overall for the auction, you're really good at redraft and putting together uh, rosters in the year. What, What do you feel you do differently in a dynasty fab you know, because there's there's an approach to picking up prospects. There's an approach to picking up major league ready players. How do you feel there's a difference in those two for you? Yeah, good question. Um, so yeah, like I said, I've been doing dynasty for about you know six seven years now, and I listened to a prominent player. He's not as involved anymore, but Ian Kahn, um, 
he's he's a he's a very good dynasty manager and he would always say that leagues are won and lost on Sundays with your fab and I couldn't agree more. If you can pick up a eighth inning David Robertson and all of a sudden he becomes a closer and you can trade him away for a few draft picks or a, a nice prospect, you're creating nothing you're creating something out of nothing. Yep. So basically every single roster spot that you have if you're a rebuilding team is a great opportunity for you to basically be a storage place for a player whose value could up, uptick or uh, taking on a gamble on a setup guy who, if he gets the role, you can flip him to a contender, even if it's a, a an old crusty closer who isn't going to have much value for very long, right. like a Pierce Johnson last year from the Colorado Rockies. Sure. So really you basically just need to scan for, for those types of players. If you're a rebuilding team and you're a lot, you have the ability to rent out your roster spots that way. Also, the other thing that I love doing is basically just kind of like monitoring other teams' drops. Um, last summer in one of my most competitive leagues, someone dropped Jonathan Ronda, and I just didn't agree with that drop, and we went out and we spent decent money to get him. And, yeah, he's probably not going to be a stud or anything, but if you can get a 110, 115 WRC plus type guy who could be on the strong side of the platoon – in certain instances, Monday through Thursday, half week, he might be a usable player against right-handed pitching. So really just kind of monitoring the drops if you're rebuilding, looking for uh, any value, any any guy that, you know, could, could be on the periphery of playing time um, and could see a value increase, even if right now he doesn't have that. There's always hidden potential if you look hard enough on the waiver wire. Well, yeah, for sure. For a couple of years ago, Felix Batista, I picked him up in a couple of leagues off the waiver mm. wire. You know, yeah, so did I. Baltimore had uh, a couple different closers. They, they, I forget who it was. If it was Wells or who was the lead guy that they traded away, Felix stepped. Jorge right Lopez. Into, yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you, Jorge Lopez. You know, and he stepped right into a dominant closer role. And you would have known that if you were paying attention to who's yes. the eighth inning guy. And oh. What did he know Sarah say about his fastball? And oh, pick him up. He's free. <laughs> He's right there on the waiver wire. Like, this is cheap. Let's do this. So I'm curious though, because those are those are the easier things in Dynasty that if you're in a good league and you're playing for a long time, you can go through a, a year or two rebuild potentially. But what if you do if you're one of those top five teams that's actively going for it, you know, or you have a middle of the road team where you've put together a, a huge depth of value at every, every position has got value. How many open spots do you think you have to keep on your bench to continue to have good rotation for the, the grind of the season? Cause you like, like you said about what Ian said is that leagues are won and lost on Sundays that you have to participate in the buying and selling or the, acquiring and uh letting go of these players so how many how many roster spots do you think uh should go to being flipped on a on a typical seven man bench let's let's put the number at seven arbitrarily so if you're a rebuilding team in theory you could have all those all those potential spots be flippable sure sure um or on your or in your minor leagues um so for an example a guy like Cutter Crawford, who was widely available in most leagues at times in the beginning of the last year and at worst in 2022, you can pick a guy up like him. And if you want to ride it out with him, see how he pans out as a starter, you got that opportunity. 
if you want to flip into a starter needy team and grab up a couple of prospects that you like, or maybe if you can get a, a top 50, top 75 prospect, it's just kind of those guys where they were nothing. And now all of a sudden they have a lot of uh, intrigue. And even if you don't have them, your ability to, to move off of them uh, or like a Christopher Sanchez from the Philadelphia Phillies last year, that would be a perfect name where, if you're a rebuilding team and you have you're playing with house money, you have nothing to lose. Pick a guy up like that who's on a hot run, and in the winter, whenever more articles get written up about him, and um, he has a lot more general buzz, then boom, you have a market for him, and you can move off of him. Well, it's almost like we're playing the stock market, right? We're yes. literally, yeah, we're literally, we're literally <laughs> watching the stock market. How is this asset doing? And and you don't have as much of that. Yeah. Necess- well, I guess it's the same thing, but on a micro level in redraft, because all all the, you know, you're looking at weekly trends. You're looking at, like you were pointing out early, a Monday through Thursday versus a Friday through Sunday uh, approach to setting rosters. And most dynasties that I know of are either daily or weekly. I, I've only been in mm-hmm. one that's twice a week and, and conforms to that, you know, redraft roto standard. How do you, I mean, Ryan, how many... How many dynasty leagues uh, are you in where it's daily, uh, and how many are you in that are either weekly or biweekly? I think the majority of my leagues are daily, and then I think just two are weekly, and I have none that are uh, biweekly. Biweekly, yeah, yeah. I prefer weekly. Mm-hmm. Just it's, I mean, w- when you're juggling a couple teams it's just nice to sit down on a sunday and for an hour or two and put in fab bits and all that and just set it and forget it Mm -hmm. uh which it's it's funny because you're always trying to find a sweet spot like you were saying lucas where you dropped a couple leagues because you weren't giving enough uh paying enough attention to it's it's always uh issue for dynasty players because you always want to start another startup or you want yeah. to take over an orphan team, and it's it's a fine balancing act between can I dedicate the right amount of time to this to where it's worthwhile. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. So one of the things that uh, is different with Dynasty is that there's a series of different formulations for how we put together scoring. Now, most of the redraft that we do is 15 team, five by five. They're the traditional categories. And I, I like the fact that a lot of the redraft that's been that's played either on NFBC or on other platforms is really, you know, a save is a save. That's you're going for that. It's a gold standard. There's no deviation, but dynasty seems to have a little bit of uh, flux on that. And so I'm just really curious, uh, do you have a preference in dynasty for being on base versus having an average, or do you like staying with a BA or does it not matter to you? And I guess I'd ask the same thing for wins versus quality saves, or do you prefer save only versus save and hold? Like, where are you at with those nuances for what we see in Dynasty? I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I, for me, the ratio hitting categories don't really matter. I liked OBP more at first. Batting average is totally all right, too. So, yeah, that's that's the hitting side. It's easy. As far as wins with pitchers, I actually kind of like wins as pitchers, because if you're only using quality starts, then you're not rewarding those Brian Abreu, Matt Brash types that might steal you a few wins here and there. Sure. Just because those guys will never be able to post a quality start by the technicalities of the rules. So, um, yeah, for me, wins, obviously not a perfect stat, not not a very good stat by any means, but um, I prefer them as the lesser of all evils. What do you think about going to? I see some uh, leagues going to the innings pitched instead of quality starts and wins. I've played under that format as well, and I liked it. I had no problems with it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that was a fun little tweak. Yeah, innings pitched instead of wins or qu- uh, quality starts. That's I've never played with that. That would that would really reward, uh, like you said. Know earlier those matt brash abreu types that come in yeah and shove for four or five batters that they're not just in there for an inning they can go an inning inning and a half so if if those things don't matter for you what uh and i guess i'd want to ask and let's start with hitting and then we'll go to pitching when you're looking uh and analyzing uh for talent uh either in the majors or the minors for hitting what stats or predictors do you pay close attention to that you think are signal and which ones on the flip side do you feel like are noise? And we'll Lucas again, start with you and then go to Ryan. That's a great question. Um, as far as noise, I've come to learn that uh, BABIP for minor leaguers is not that reliable. And in fact, I really don't look at it a whole lot. Uh, I was actually discussing Nolan Jones a month or so ago with someone and they had mentioned his minor league BABIPs and with how poor the defense is on the minor league side, I just don't really give it a lot of credit. Maybe he is a high BABIP guy, but I need to see a little bit more proof for Nolan Jones there. Uh, And the other thing as far as not giving it much credit is a high walk rate. You'll see a guy like a Kevin Biggio you know, dating myself here a little bit with that reference, but, you know, he had unbelievable walk rates just because the minor league ups were not very good. He did. And, uh, you know, the pitch framing just wasn't very good and the command of the arms he faced was poor. So 
yeah, I think you can get ahead of yourself whenever you see some of those walk rates for minor leaguers. So you need to realize that more often than not, these guys usually get a lot worse in terms of plate discipline, more yeah. than most managers probably anticipate. So then Yeah, I agree. Uh, I love that you pointed out the walks because it's it's a fine line in minor leagues where guys are posting 16 17% walks and you have to dig deeper and see if they're just being selective or mm-hmm. if they're just not taking their bat off their shoulder and yes they're not swinging at all because i mean Dan Vogelbach is probably the poster child for that right uh <laughs> So that's something I always, I always try to dig deeper on. Whenever I see a high walk rate, I'm like, "Well, is this? Are they going? Are they just not swinging, and or do they have a good eye?" And I think, of course, double A is usually the the proving ground. Uh, so I like to wait for them to get to double A and see their walk rates uh, before I make a determination. Usually. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see a guy like a Justin Henry Malloy who's had very gaudy walk rates at AAA once he gets a chance in the major leagues this year, what those walk rates really are from a true talent level because I would imagine they drop quite a bit. Yeah, I think so. And I, I you bring up Justin Henry Malloy. I, I've been able to see him a little bit. I live in the area, and uh, he does not he, – he doesn't take his bat off his shoulder mm. unless it's a – just a fastball right down the plate, really. So I, I, I will be interested to see how he performs in the, hopefully the majors this year. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent to dream on, isn't he? He's now with the Tigers. Go Tigers! He's with the yeah. Tigers, uh, and he was made it up to AAA last year, right? Yeah. I yeah. don't think I whole don't year think he, in AAA. Yeah, I didn't think he broke into the majors last year, but he's he's right no, up there. Yet. He was a uh, he was an AFL guy two years ago at uh, at first pitch. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a lot of fun. Uh, I believe Mike Govier uh, over at the Palazzo Podcast got to interview him at that that weekend. So a player that I root for. I root for them all. You know, you can't help but to dream on some of these oh, kids. No. Like, yeah. you know, God, they get to play a kid's game. And we get to watch them and you know figure out uh, who we want to root for. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to root for for them all and you'd think that i just root for mariners but i don't promise i don't (laughs) for noise we've got babip and walk rate and really uh waiting till at least you get into the high minors uh to start looking at things like walk rate and and getting to watch him game to game to see like you're saying taking a bat off of his shoulder what stats do you look for for signal where where is that sweet spot for looking for either future production or production that's current that you like as far as that goes, this is not necessarily production, but I love seeing a player that has a glove that's going to provide value to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking at an Yvonne Melendez for the Diamondbacks, his path is through DH or first base only. So for me, you have to be a stud to have any chance at that. That's why a guy like Matt Mervis, when his stock got insanely high, I had a bit of worry. Um, I didn't think it would pan out the way it did so far, but that's just so hard. You have to be a very high-end uh, talent to to secure a full-time first base role. So if you can have uh, center field, shortstop, or even catcher 
Uh, third base, left side of the infield, I think is an excellent defensive value position if you can play a good third base. So that's that's a key indicator as well as uh, just because your versatility is going to go up for the team. It'll buy you more plate appearances and more on-the-job training, um, as well as really looking at uh, if I can get any max exit velocity data. Um, if a guy is just below standard for the big leagues, um, and he's, you know, 22, 23 plus. Now, if a guy has lower exit velocities and he's 19 or 20, he's going to put a lot of projection onto his frame. He's going to get stronger and more physically mature. So I think you saw that with CJ Abrams where he came in and, you know, he got rushed. But once he got older, he got a little bit more man muscle, so to speak. He was able to get a few more home runs over the fence. I love that man muscle. <laughs> CJ Abrams, ladies and gentlemen, the man muscle guy. What about you, Ryan? Like, where, where are you at? No, I, I agree with Lucas. Where you you want to stay up the middle? You yes. want shortstop, center fielders, because like he's saying, they're going to get more opportunities and plate appearances, and they can always move off that position if necessary. Uh, most of my in my first year player draft uh, rankings, I always go after the center fielder shortstops um, and those are guys who I target. And then uh, I like to look at 90th percentile uh, max EV. I find that always to be a good predictor of how often they get to their power. Uh, Someone like we we had a big discussion in our discord the other day about Victor Scott and Mm. if he can ever, how many how much power he could predictably get into in the major leagues and i think he can be somewhere in the 10 to 15 range maybe and just because off of his uh 90th percentile ev that i got from i, I forgot the source i found but it was it was right below league average so hmm. i was pushing back on that he had no power where he worked on it after a slight swing change. But that's something I look to uh, when I'm looking at players hitting wise. I like it. I like it. You know, uh, the name of the game is always how hard can you hit the ball? You know, that's, that's, when you're looking at somebody at the plate, it's and, and how often can you hit? You know, I'm always interested in, in, in strikeout rates and to see how they how they uh, progress in the minors. Do they start out high and come down or do they start out low and stay low? You know, I want to see trending of how they develop as they they raise levels, but it always starts with how hard they can hit the ball. So with that on the batting yeah. side. How do you guys feel about pitching? What are what are the indicators, the stats, the predictors that you play close attention to, both for noise and single? And I'll start with you this time, Ryan, for noise. What do you think is not important when evaluating a pitcher? Walks to a certain point. It's so hard for minor league to scout minor leagues unless you're getting eyes on them and you're kind of you're pretty comfortable with the the uh, organization because it's like when uh, oh, Taj Bradley went down to Triple A 
or when he started the year and they were just having him throw all fastballs. Like you have to be able to dig through the numbers and look through the noise. And I just think uh, walk rate, that isn't too bad. I don't usually pay attention to, but when you get to like Kyle Harrison's uh, walk (laughs) numbers and I get a little concerned, uh, but that's something I look towards but then my big thing is always looking at the k minus bb percentage uh is a big thing that i look for because obviously for starting pitchers and the like you want a high enough k to bb percentage where it's you you can project farther okay what about you lucas yeah, I think Ryan laid out some good fundamentals to look for. Strikeouts minus walks. As much as, you know, it's amazing to see a guy's, you know, induced vertical break or, you know, looking at all these fancy statistics, I think strikeouts minus walks will get you 75% of the answer. Yeah. Now there's players that just throw too many meatballs and don't give up many walks and occasionally get some strikeouts, kind of what I call the Michael Pinedas. <laughs> Those guys, I mean, sure they're going to get blown up because they are too living in the zone. So you can't rely on it too much. But um, in addition to what uh, Ryan had said, I think, I think um, I'm really wary of anybody that doesn't have a good fastball. Um, Obviously there's players that are able to succeed without a good fastball, like a Joe Musgrove. Um, and, And if you look at a lot of pitchers, that's usually where they're weak. Even a guy like Tanner, Bybee doesn't have the best fastball or anything, but he had an excellent rookie year. So hopefully trying to get a guy with a big fastball is important since that's the pitch that you're leaning on most of the time for strikes. Um, And just trying to find a player that has unique characteristics that you think will play up in the big leagues um, is really important. Um, A guy that I love, Jared Jones of the Pirates, I think his blistering fastball top of the zone and, and big slider Um, against right-handed hitters. I think something like that could just be devastating once he gets called up. So just trying to find it, kind of find those unique profiles. Um, A player like um, Drew Thorpe, who is a bad fastball player, looking at his fastball on fan graphs, it's ranked 35 grade. So I mean, that's just (laughs) a disaster. I don't think that that's going to work, but you know, could be wrong. That's why we play. I don't have all the answers, but yeah, just kind of a few basics that I look at too. Yeah, that was, I was actually, once you brought up good fastball, I was going to ask about him because his K minus walk rates are ridiculous. He's got what looks like good stuff, but I'm with you that, that you, it's going to take a really special pitcher that doesn't have a fastball that, you know, 45 a 45 grade fastball a 50 grade fastball you need you need to have something there is is pretty fundamental in the way that i think also so i'm real i'm real interested in dynasty on him i'm i'm buying him everywhere because i want to find out if that's real even a guy like musgrove who doesn't have a great fastball but he has six pitches he uses he had you know ups and downs a lot when he got started and it took him quite a while to become a, a big arm for you in fantasy baseball. So, um, you know, it takes these guys a while I've, I've heard Jeff Ponis bring up the fact that 
there ain't too many 22, 23 year old aces. I mean, now there is based on the crop that we had last year. So that point didn't age as well, but realistically there's not a lot, you know, a guy like Mackenzie Gore, he'll take some time to develop. It's right. It's a thinking man's position really, as far as pitching it's, you know, you've got to be on top of it to the nth degree because any mistake, these guys are so good at hitting. They'll take it out of the yard. Right. For every Yuri Perez, you have, you know, a hundred other names that, it took yes. until they were 27, <laughs> 28, 29. And, you know, Ryan and I talk about this all the time that, you know, the these players are physically being, you know, in most cases with most organizations, they've got great training. They've got somebody talking to them about what they should be eating. Their people are following what they're doing, that they're being set up for success physically. And it's all all the difference is mental. It's, it's how quickly can they absorb that and how quickly can their body change its natural algorithm to respond to a faster pitch or respond to a pitch with movement or to be able to get that extra, you know, 200 uh, RPMs or that extra two inches of movement, like, or to know which pitch to throw. I mean, we see, we see pitchers all the time that have phenomenal makeup and phenomenal tools and they just don't know how to put, you know, a pitch sequence together or they're not being coached properly with that. Like it, it's... The, the 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 difference between elite and good and good and out of the league is probably the same. It's really yeah. hard to be elite and it's incredibly difficult to be good. So yeah, I'm I'm real interested. Uh, that's a long way of saying I'm super interested to see what Drew Thorpe does this year. I'm I'm excited about him. He seems like the unicorn pitcher. It, he's not a knuckleballer. You know, I keep I keep waiting for the league to have another dominant knuckleballer. Either of you guys interested in that at all? Do you guys like knuckleballers? Were you a Wakefield and a, a Dickey fan back in the days? R.A. Dickey, yeah. That's right. I love Tim Wakefield. Oh, yeah, I love Wakefield. He's a legend, to say the least. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Right. Tim. Like, I, I love... I love watching pitches that have no business being in the game, you know, because we, to the point of we, we're, we're looking at K minus walk rate, we're looking at good fastballs, we're looking at these things that are repeatable and dominant that have, you know, a lot of velocity and a lot of bite and who the fuck knows where a knuckleball is going. I mean, I realize that's <laughs> the genius of it, but like, Really, it, it, it seems to be the antithesis of what we are doing with baseball. Faster, stronger, more, you know, more movement, more of this. And it's just this. Anyway, I get excited about knuckleballers. I'll tell you as far as roster, <laughs> roster construction and player evaluation go for me, if they throw a knuckleball, I might trade for them or draft them. That, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I think as far as doing uh, rosters and our approach to the game, we've talked about pretty much everything except for trades. So that's a difference that we have in most dynasty that I don't know of a dynasty league that doesn't, or a keeper league that doesn't allow for trading to happen. And in most of the big uh, redraft there, there is not trading allowed. So, uh, Lucas, tell me a little bit about your, what are your thoughts on trades and in general, like do you, are you pro trading or is it just a necessary evil of the game? And what, what, are, what are your approaches? Do you like to text? Do you like to call? How, how do you go about doing your trades? 
um, that was one of the biggest reasons that I felt the need to, to kind of step away from a few dynasty leagues is because of the trading. I'm really good at making sure my fab moves get put in and I can watch the lineup and set it decent, you know, pretty decently. But it's that trade scenario where you look up and a guy's been moved and you're like, wow, I would have loved to have had a chance to go knocking on that door. <laughs> and, you know, it's always the, the most uh, oldest, you know, thing you always hear. I would have given you more. Well, you know, then send an offer is kind right. of my thought. But um, yeah, as far as like trading, I just, I hate whenever I see a trade and it's just the same owner that's just getting one over on, on another owner. That's kind of just turns me off from dynasty a lot, but you know, that's going to happen from time to time, I guess. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, It's, it's a necessary evil. I love trading. Uh, I never tried to, I try to make the fairest offer the first time because yes. I have too much going on in my life to like start with a low ball offer and work my way up. Like mm-hmm. everybody knows what you're doing. And I hate when an owner will, uh, or a manager will come to me and have a trade offer for me. And every guy he's trying to acquire from me, he will say, well, yeah, but you know, last year he had a 30% strikeout rate or something like <laughs> d- don't come to me and like, disparage my players yeah. to try to lower the, the value of them like i know what i have oh my god and universal just tr- every league has right, somebody dude. that does that yes just, do. just try to give most teams can figure out a trade where it benefits both people just don't lowball people it's it's annoying and i have a little excel sheet where i put in my trade offers that i receive and i say probably not going to deal with this guy again that's a good idea that's a fantastic idea you just don't give them the time of day like if you want to do that you're going to continually do that so true well okay yeah i think i think making fair offers really cuts down on the on the time savings and i i think it's just it's one of those things where if you you know if you offer an owner a trade that you would be pleased to see come into your inbox, or you would at least have a hard time deciding what you would do, then that's going to give you so much integrity because it's not that common as you kind of alluded to. Yeah. I heard one thing I liked uh, is I don't know if it pertains to fantasy baseball or what, but if, if both sides walk away feeling that they got screwed, it's probably a good offer. Good point. Oh, that's most business deals too. You know, you you're always like, "Oh, you got you got a good amount from me. I know I got good stuff, but man, you you got me to give up a lot. That was that was a good deal for both." You know, I really so you strike at a nerve that I don't think I've got a good answer for, but I'm aware I'm I'm aware of that problem, and that is trading is problematic in the sense that what is a fair offer and what is fair value and you know, there's 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 some conversation and debate in most dynasty leagues about can you veto trades, you know, or why wouldn't we just let most all trades go through unless somebody has a problem? And, you know, I'll go back to talking about Yuri Perez. I traded for him two years ago. I traded Shane Bieber for a Yuri Perez in a league that I was in. And, you know, you it, it, it at the surface at the time, though, uh, there were a couple owners that were really upset that I got 
that I gave up Shane Bieber for a prospect pitcher. Like there's no such thing as pitching prospects, right? Like 10 snap. Uh, I think right. to, to a large degree, that's true. That prospects are mostly shiny. You want, you want boring, dull performers that just go out and ball all the time. They're, we're no longer excited yep. about you. We know who you are. There's no mystery. We don't have to date you. But it, you know, when you look at that trade two and a half years later, like when I say that trade, I would, I would think that both of you would agree with me that I felt like Shane Bieber was at a crossroads and I was happy to move him for somebody who I thought had the potential to have the highest upside. So how do you, how do you really know those trades are bad? Because sometimes those trades take two and a half, five years to really, you know, in this kind of a setting, it takes a long time to really understand who, who wins. And so, you know, I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what the right way to go about it is, but I agree with you guys that there are bad trades and you can have bad trades ruin a league. You, you can I, have I think, that. Happen. I, I think, I think dynasty, you, there should hardly ever be any vetoes unless collusion is exactly provable. exactly uh because like you said you can't that was a great trade by you grabbing uh perez uh and we go through this on discord all the time too in our discord like oh should i veto this trade like no you shouldn't it's no one knows the future and like that's the frustrating part of dynasty is you Everybody values somebody prospects differently. I treat prospects like the stock market and I will trade prospects to upgrade my team without a second thought really most times, unless it's a top 10 or 15 prospect that I'm reasonably sure is going to be a uh, first division regular, you know? And so it's just, it's part of the, lame side of dynasty, I guess. <laughs> Being able to have a group of people that you trust to pay, to play the game with integrity as far yeah. as having realistic values because they're invested in the game. Right. You know, I think that's the tough part about dynasty is that there is a little bit of disconnect that you can do and redraft in the sense that you, you're not necessarily set, set, setting a daily lineup. You're not necessarily having to get into a deep prospect pool. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to, I wish that there was a system that I thought was significantly better than another, but I think you sum it up, right? That you, the only, tr the only vetoes on a trade should be if you think there's collusion, you know, you, you can't, yeah. you can't know the future. What do you guys feel about uh, teams and dynasty that trade draft picks? Uh, do you think that draft picks, how do you value first year player draft picks? Do you think that those are things to be accumulated and stocked up on? Do you like to trade those out to make things like, where are you at with picks? Uh, for me, it just kind of depends on the status of the team and the build. Um, if I'm rebuilding, I'm going to try to hoard my draft picks and, and hopefully hoard other people's picks and look at the first, second round, mostly first round. But if I can get a second round pick, obviously those are pretty good too. Um, and really look for the high end draft picks too. Um, and also sometimes look to get even third or fourth round draft picks because 
even if I won't be able to use all those players on my roster the next year, if I'm going to be over the cap on minor leaguers, I can take that third round pick. And if there's players that are still available, I can put it in the chat that it's available and then I can get another pick for the next season and, you know, 2025, let's say. So that's always a huge benefit and uh, just helps grease the wheels on trades. Sam and I, we've done some trades in dynasty and, you know, picks can just help, you know, Hey, would it help if I threw in a pick and always, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to, you don't want to get one coup off of a guy and then you have an enemy and someone doesn't like you. You want to build a partnership where you can do trades time after time. And uh, that's where, that's where tacking on an extra pick will come in. And, and one of my builds, funny enough, it's, it's a team that actually won the league thankfully last year. And right now, uh, as far as our draft picks, we have a second round pick and, we don't have another pick until the fifth, sixth round. So we're kind of at a major deficit because we just went kind of all in at that point. And it just kind of depends on the build for me. Flags fly, man. Flags fly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so that, that, that's, that's, I think the most important thing that picks it for a contending team don't matter. You, you, you have to, you know, make your shot. You have to, you have to really try to get over the line. I don't think that that's where you play those conservatively and I've always I really struggle because as I get closer to you know draft time it's hard not to get caught up in rankings and draft orders and who likes what player and people start talking about you know these players are now available in your league but you know these are players that most often now this year we have some players that even got major league time last year that are available in first year drafts and some of the pitchers and uh coming over from Japan and Korea this year that are going to be interesting to see. But most of these players, we don't have a really strong, you know, we might have some college stats. We have some high school stuff, but we don't have those data points that we're looking for. And I find that there's this huge fluctuation between, you know, a January, uh, February article about first year player values, December article, whenever you get that information out, and a year later, when you look at those prospects on a prospect ranking, you know, they're all over the place. Players that weren't even ranked in your first True. year player draft have, have shot up to uh, top ranking. Like, you know, Roman Anthony was a good prospect, but oh, he yeah. really seemed to come out of nowhere last year that he really, he got on everybody's board. Everybody started paying attention yeah. to him. And that's, he was a player that you could pick up off the waiver wire in most leagues last year he wasn't he wasn't rostered in a lot of places and so you know i just i don't i don't i'm still i'm still my jury's still out my brain is still out on how do i value draft picks i know they're important i know they have value i know that they you know you need to assign a value to them but i i have a hard time and i think you know lucas you hit the nail on the head that it's 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 the way that you're like we're we're so close here. Here's a draft pick. This this will this will no. even it out, you know. Uh, we're we're almost. What do you guys? How do you how do you guys feel about taking major league players or non prospects in the draft? Is that something you guys do with with high picks, late picks, medium picks? What's your guys' philosophy there? Depends. Obviously, it depends on if you plan on competing that year and. Uh, if there's anybody that you really think can be a mainstay on your team, I'm not going to waste a first round pick on a bench player. I might cut three weeks into the season. True. Uh, but 
if if there's a interesting guy out there, I have no problem doing it. Uh, if you're talking about major league players that in the FYPD, like uh, a manga or a Yamamoto, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, Ha Seung Kim a couple of years ago, even though it took him a year and a half to get seasoned in the majors and really kind of make some noise. Like, I think you have to take the shot on those players that are going to be guaranteed some major league exposure. Um, but if you're talking about like, I'm in a league where it's a 10 round, uh, draft and the first five, you can only draft, uh, minors eligible players, mm -hmm. according to the configurations of what the league considers to be minor league. I mean, I know that changes league to league innings pitched and at bats and whatnot, but after round five, you can pick up any of the free agents that were available at the end of the year. And I, I always think that's great in a save holds league, because generally speaking, that last month is where you're you're getting a lot of information for how the back end of that bullpen might be playing out the next sure. year as you're seeing yep. who signed and who stayed there. It was like, oh, oh, he actually pitched a lot at the end of August and September, and oh, they still have him in the bullpen. He's he's going to be be pitching for him next year. Like so, I, I like picking up major league talent. You know, that's the name of the game. Yes, like I was looking at a couple of my. Uh player pools for my 15 team dynasty leagues and the closer not closers but the potential closers that were out there you know we're looking at robert stevenson um robert suarez of the padres um you know david robertson might get a save share after signing with texas tonight so like i don't know i'm just saying i wouldn't be super afraid if you if you think that a guy has a good chance to get saves or or is going to win the job i wouldn't be afraid to spend you know a third round maybe super late second round pick on those guys because you can grab up prospects in season once you have data to go off of and you can monitor these guys if you're a prospect scoundrel and if you're listening in to this podcast here in late january i'm sure that's what you are <laughs> well i i think we're all degenerates that way yes <laughs> that black and white cartoon of the guy whose t-shirt says sicko and he's just looking in with both hands on the glass yeah. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah uh, i'm like that so hey to sassify uh my prospect itch uh lucas can you give us a couple names of some prospects that you are personally in on uh for dynasty some names that some of our listeners might go out and uh, take a closer look at? Um, well, there's a couple of names that um, are going to be extremely hard to get, but in my mind, I think they could potentially be elite caliber players. Um, for me, uh, Roman Anthony is one of those guys that I view him as a potential top five prospect. He's not there yet because there's other guys that have done more, but I think Roman Anthony, to me, and I want to hear your guys' opinion. He kind of just screams that potential franchise icon for your dynasty league where if you if you have him, your viewpoint is just different as far as what you're looking at, like a top 50 dynasty asset. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. I uh, I joined a fantasy or a dynasty league uh, because he had Roman Anthony in the minor <laughs> league. Uh, I think he's going to he, – watching him play uh, – this past summer, just through video, I was blown away. Like some guys, you can like, it just gravitates. Mm. You can tell like they're a dude, you know. Yeah. And with all the numbers backing it up, man, he I, I think he's 
like you said, maybe a top 50 dynasty asset at this point. Are hitters more valuable than pitchers? Is established elite pitchers the most valuable uh, commodity in, in a dynasty league? Like is a Garrett Cole harder to move than an Aaron Judge? How do you guys feel about that? Because I know that pitching is harder to project long-term than hitting, but do you find elite pitching to be more valuable than elite hitting? Personally, I think it's skewing that way, personally. Uh, I think there's the haves and have-nots for pitchers now, where you need that ace. Uh, having said that, it's if you're asking me if I'd want Judge or Cole, irregardless of team context, I'd still probably go with Judge if I had to choose right now. Okay. Who, who are you taking, Lucas. In a vacuum. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Judge just because Garrett Cole right now is is one of the best best few pitchers that we have, but he's not quite that 260 280 strikeout arm that he showed. He's come down a little bit off that, and he was so good that even coming down off that, he's still one of the best two or three arms in the game. But Aaron Judge showed that he can be beyond historic uh, when he's at his peak, and even last year people might feel a little bit disappointed just strictly based on the volume, but his ratio stats were literally just as good as they were yeah. as his legendary year, maybe a slight downtick, but yeah, he's still one of the best when he's out there. So I'm going judge. I'm, I'm not voting for either one. Cause they're both Yankees. <laughs> I absolutely I'll defer. I'll, I'll wait till it's Luis Castillo or Julio Rodriguez that are up for those kind of things. Oh man, Garrett Cole. You know, I I have a hard time not taking Garrett Cole over Judge because Cole has been consistently the best pitcher in the AL for the last seven years now. Top three pitcher yeah. every year. I mean, he just he's a machine. I guess I'm. It might be easier to believe that his arm's going to fall off in the next couple of years, and Judge is going to be able to stay healthy in the outfield. So I could see that, but. Man, I love Garrett Cole. That high floor he has as a pitcher, those innings that he's just going to eat up. Yes. And and he's Fun pitching deal. for the Yankees. It's not it's he organizationally he's pitching for a team that should get him wins because they really have a good offense. It's their pitching that's terrible. Yeah. You know, that's neither here nor there cuz I I don't have a lot of Garrett Cole shares and I've only got one judge share. And I think I'd trade him. So, again, I'm in on Garrett Cole. My uh, my fun fact is my youngest son is named after Garrett Cole. That is so sweet. That was back when he was a uh, Pittsburgh pitcher, huh? Yeah. Him uh, and Joe Musgrove? Yeah, Musgrove. Oh, I was man. just thinking that, too. What, yeah. It was a, such a good time to be a Pirates fan. The only time in my life. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> the only time in... Hey, we, uh, I was talking to you about this before we hit record, man. You guys have championships in your history. I'm literally standing yeah, around true. a room by myself going, how come there's nobody left in here? So, <laughs> there it is. Uh, well, hey, I don't think that we have anything else to go over, and we've hit the hour mark. So I am going to uh, let you off the hook for the rest of the evening, Lucas. I can't. Thank you enough for being here with us. Hopefully you enjoyed yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I I love these kind of conversations where we can just, 
you know, go back and forth and learn a little bit from each other and, and have a ton of fun in the process. So yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to start really looking at defense, uh, as a pathway to playing time because I, I, I like defenders, but I don't mind the first baseman. You know, I feel <laughs> like first base I'm, you know, again, Mariner bias, John Olerud, uh, when he was drafted by Toronto <laughs> was, <laughs> Uh, one of two players in the last 40 years, him and Dave Winfield, that they didn't play at all in the minors. They immediately debuted in the majors and stayed up there. And John Olerud, if you watch, uh, if you go back and look at the uh, infield fielding percentages for the Toronto Blue Jays during their championship run, and then when he was with the Mets, and the Mets started winning a bunch of games, and then he came over to the Mariners. If you look at, at the, the difference that he made in the rest of that defense by making every damn play at first base, uh, I, I think that there's a lot lost in translation when we put the big bat shitty glove uh, at that oh, base. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because almost, other than strikeouts, you know, other than extra base hits, everything revolves around first base. And so, mm. you know, I, I think that that, that position is wildly underlooked uh based on you know my personal bias of one player who went through three <laughs> systems but you know seriously look at the winning percentages before and after john olerud before during and after for all three of those franchises i'm not kidding that that he changed their winning percentage and he changed their uh infield defensive uh fielding percentages to you know top three in in the majors at, at each place he was at every year it, it just I, oh. I think there's something to first base being a defensive uh need and i, I oh, yeah. a lot of teams love, don't seem to play it that way so. i love first base defense it's it they they can cover up a lot of mistakes for everybody else and it's super important and one of my favorite guys watching in my younger years was Derek Lee doing the split, oh, yeah. picking balls all over the place. Like as a baseball fan, that was something I love to see. Right. No, I love, I love first base acrobatics and, and hijinks. I, I just, it's my jam for baseball. It's one of the things I really appreciate. Um, before we let uh, Lucas go, is there anything you guys uh, want to say about what you're doing? Actually, uh, Ryan, you start. Is there anything we got going on with TDG that you want to talk about tonight, or you got a clean slate? Where are we at? Uh, no, we're uh, prospects. Prospect uh, positional rankings come out Thursdays and Fridays uh, for the foreseeable future. We're just finishing up shortstop by the time this is posted, and then next week is third base, second base shorts or uh, outfield or uh, sorry, starting pitchers and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, that's, I'm pretty much head down in the trenches, figuring not that all that out and editing all that. So just stay tuned for that. And how do our wonderful new listeners get access to those rankings? Oh, well, so if you just want the rankings, uh, it's a $10 donation, uh, to get them earlier than anybody else, uh, and then 20 bucks if you want to join Discord, which I can't recommend highly enough. It's honestly a pretty cool place to hang out. Uh, you have trade advice going on all the time, prospect advice, whatever. There's always some writer or another in the Discord helping out. It's awesome. And just for 20 bucks for the whole year. Uh, but 
we're also a free site. So if you just want to wait till the rankings come out and get them with everybody <laughs> else, they come out when they come out and you can see them then. That's right. That's right. And it's not just, it, it, although it is, it is some of the writers uh, also, but it's not just the writers. We've got really smart people that participate in the discord. Oh, yeah. uh, a lot of kindness, a lot of really just uh, genuinely good people. So good place for you. And you know, that 20 bucks goes a long way for us at the, at the dynasty guru. So uh, feeds my kids. That, <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, it, no, his no, kids no. are fine. His kids are fine. <laughs> I have a quick question for Ryan here. Yeah. Just off the cuff. So for your dynasty uh, shortstop prospect stuff. Yeah. Was if you have an answer to both of these, that would be amazing. Or if you just have an answer to one, I'm putting on the spot. But like, was there a player that in your mind you were higher on that you kind of cooled off on? And then alternatively, like a guy that you're like a lot more excited about when you didn't have that feeling beforehand. So we had quite, when we do our rankings, it's a consensus between the people that want to do prospect rankings. And uh, I was kind of lukewarm on Jet Williams. And then somebody ranked him pretty low and i was like wait a minute i was like that doesn't seem right and we had this big discussion in there and i came away thinking man i think jet williams is going to be the real deal after like digging into his uh behind the scenes stats and uh just watching him play i think i think his height shouldn't be the determining factor of if he will be good or not i yes. mean i know Historically, it doesn't work out, but he gets to he's he's kind of like Altuve where he yes. makes the most out of his stature and his 90th percentile EV is right in line with at league average. And I think he will be able to perform in the major leagues. And if he can do 270, 15 home runs, 40 steals, I mean, come on. So that was someone who I think I was kind of lower on to begin. And then when I saw how some people were really low on him, I was like, oh, man, I think I have to dig into this a little bit more. And then one of the guys I was uh, higher on that I ended up being a little less high on mm -hmm. would be uh, – who did I have? Oh, uh, Adele on Amador, I, I can never pronounce his name. So I, Amador? I, I, yeah, I don't dismiss his hitting ability, and I he's going to ultimately end up at second base most likely. But uh, interesting. I think cores will definitely help, but I don't see the power, and but I, and I worry about that when they get called up and he's not much of a base dealer. Is he? I can't remember right now. Let me see. Here, he had 15 the... steals last year in about uh, 64 games. Here, right. Here's so... the answer. Colorado prospects are to be avoided at all costs. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it, it, if he's not providing a bunch of steals, I just don't know if the power is going, what's the end result going to be yeah. in the major leagues? 
So that's someone I might be a little lower on than most. Uh, after doing this whole research thing the past couple of months. Awesome. That's very good calls there. I, I love that. Glad I asked. Yeah, perfect. I don't have a shortstop I'm higher or lower on, so I'll I'll just stay out of this one. Other than to, to say again, stay away from Colorado Rocky prospects. They will <laughs> drive you crazy. I can't wait for them to start signing, uh, you know, everybody who should be off of a major league roster and moving into retirement and in the, you know, the commentary, the color color commentator in the booth on the radio. That that's where that player needs to be moving to. They have a job give starting. Them one last paycheck. Yeah, they've got they've got yeah. a starting job in Colorado. <laughs> that's that's the way I feel about it. Watching what happened with uh, Brendan Rogers and uh, who else was that other middle infielder that they had with them? Garrett Hampson, Ryan McMahon. Those that trio. I thought they were going to be all stars for years, man. They kept signing everybody else for him. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any shortstops I'm excited about other than Jet, Jet Williams. But I should have been in on him before everybody else was. I just got excited because everybody started talking about him this off season, or I started paying attention to the discussion this off season. Yeah, he really came on over this past year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most people have them in their top 20 prospects, if not, you know, 10, 11. So crazy, craziness. Um, some last minute reminders. If you have any questions for us, you can always email us at dynastieschildpod at gmail.com or you can send questions, uh, DM us on Twitter at the dynasties at dynasties child. Uh, my DMs are always open. Ryan's are always open, I think. So you can always talk to us. Um, we want to make sure that if you need somebody to talk to, that you can reach out. Mental health is a big uh, thing for all of us as we go through this off season of hibernation. You know, reach out, talk to people, smile. Uh, and if you need somebody to just talk to, talk to me about baseball, talk to me about dogs, hit me up on the DMs. Uh, mm -hmm. So, also, the last thing is, if you do listen to us on a podcasting platform that allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. We always appreciate that. We work hard to not only educate, but inform and entertain you guys. Uh, I don't know if we did that, but that's what we're here for. So, hopefully, you enjoyed <laughs> yourself. Uh, you can find Ryan again uh, on Twitter at P-P-E-N-A-Y-R. You can find Lucas at LucasBerry. Uh, that's L-U-C-A-S-B-I-E-R-Y-3-3. And you can find me at SamFBB1. For Ryan with Lucas, my name is Sam, and we wish you peace and love. See you.